Hey everybody, welcome to the Free Mind Podcast. Well, we got a uh, special guest in today by by uh, popular demand, Brother Lennox Califungay. I think I said that right. If not, you can please uh, correct me. But uh, all the way from Zambia, he is back, and he's going to be spitting that fire like he did last time. So welcome back on the Free Mind Podcast, Lennox. Did I get that? Did I get your last name close to right? Yeah, it was, it was close to right. It's uh, Califungua. So if you ah, think wow. of California... You know, California. So, yeah, that's that's how it's said. And I'm I'm really happy to be back here with you guys. Uh, thank you so much. No, I appreciate it, man. So real quick, too, uh, just in case there was somebody that didn't get to hear from you last time. You are in Zambia, I believe, and you're on faculty. At, I forget the name of the school, but can you tell us just a little bit about that and your background there? Yeah, sure. So, yes, I, I currently live in Lusaka, Zambia. Um, and I think what you're referring to is the African Christian University. Um, and while I'm, while I'm not on faculty, I do um, sort of help them with with a ton of things. Um, I consider myself a, a sort of ambassador for the African Christian University. So, um, yeah, very passionate about the project. We've got some, some pretty big things going on. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the work of Conrad Mbewe or Vodi Borkham, and um, they're working with, with the ACU and... Um, yeah, I think the Lord is doing tremendous work down here. I hope people get to come here and see it. Oh, that's, awesome. no, that's, that's awesome. So do y'all do online programs as well? So no, we don't. And, and that's only because we have a deep commitment to mentorship and, and mentoring students. Um, we consider education a form of discipleship. And so, um, we prefer a model where faculty and students can engage and um, n- not just in classrooms, but even outside the classroom um, where we're trying to develop godly men and women um, to, to, to glorify God in every single area of their lives. And so um, you get a faculty member who could be discipling one of his students in, in marriage, for example, or uh, in parenting, uh, you name it, whatever it is. Um, and so for that reason, um, ACU doesn't have a distance learning model, um, at least at least for now. But um, that's not likely to change in the future. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point, yeah. man. You know, uh, I, I won't go too deep into this because uh, we, we kind of work for some, you know, online <laughs> uh, scenarios. But I, I was actually taking a class and we were talking about um, just that whole idea. Like, can you do church online? Can you mentor online and what what are the what are the benefits and what are the the negatives for in class you know in person learning and online learning and while there are you know some clear benefits to online i think what you're pointing out is is true as well like it's a different situation when you're talking about like personally mentoring and even probably different mentoring than like a than the, some of the massive classes you get where you get like 200 students there's a there's a difference between even that and like you know walking with some some close disciples. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you kind of already said that, but any other thoughts you would share on that? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's not to say that there's never room for distance learning to take place. I think there's there's certainly room for for it. Um, I mean, uh, to be fair, I know there's some ACU mentors who do some of their sessions online, 
Um, so, you know, there's, there's that, and I think it tends to work uh, okay. Um, but um, I think it's just more effective to be personally in the life of someone uh, where you can see them, where you can see what their walk with God looks like, where um, you have a tangible comprehension of where they go to church and uh, some of their unique struggles and, and seeking to not just, you know, input data into their lives, but actually walking alongside them and showing them how they ought to live um, in a very practical way. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I'd say on that. You know, yeah, I think, you know, you bring I wasn't planning on going into right. all this, but this is an interesting true, topic. Yeah. Um, because I've been thinking about this lately too. And like, you know, one of the, one of the things in Western education is like, it's almost become so abstract and so data driven. And even to the point where I think we've lost the unity and the diversity of, uh, the spheres of learning, like the university was birthed and that trying to bring together, you know, thank God's thoughts after him and bring together these different disciplines under his Lordship with theology being the queen of the sciences but now we don't have that at all it's just like this abstract methodology disconnected from any kind of incarnational fleshed out living space do you think um do you see that like in africa are y'all more given to understanding like that kind of maybe you call it like pre-modernity or pre-modernism that approach to education where it was more holistic like that yeah, that's, that's such a good question. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an African thing. I mean, I say that because postmodernism um, is quite rife here. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it's not even when you think about something like education, it's not going to look too different from what you've got going on um, in, in the United States. Um, you know, that said, Africans generally pass down information through an oral tradition. Um, and <laughs> that's sort of got its pros and cons. And in order to, uh, to, to maintain an oral tradition, you need to be in communal spaces where, you know, you're living among people. Um, you're sitting across a dining table from them. You're sitting around a fire with, with people telling stories. Um, and so in that aspect, you know, that communal aspect of African culture is, um, is, is, is certainly real. Um, and I think that actually does provide a, a wonderful opportunity for that mentorship and discipleship that I'm talking about because people are already so communal. Um, many African societies you'll find are very hospitable. I, mean, I can speak for Zambia at least. Um, it's a very hospitable culture and, and that does provide an opportunity for those kinds of things to, uh, to happen effectively. Um, and so well, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put it completely down to sort of pre-modernistic mentality. Um, I think it's just something that's sewn into the fabric of, you know, African communal culture. Yeah, that's good, man. You're making a big push for us to want to go to Zambia now. But what, right. Did you have something? Yeah, I want to know how big is the university and are the students on campus in the dormitories or do they yeah. um, transfer? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that, that's a great question. Um, so I, I, right now, I mean, I need to get these numbers right, but I think there's about a hundred and okay, hundred and sixty, hundred and sixty or hundred and seventy students at the moment. Um, 
uh, ACU's got what they call the Scholars Program, which is sort of like a first year pre-university program. Um, and then four degree courses in agriculture, business, education, and theology. Um, and the, the, the commitment is to teach these courses from a uh, semi-classical liberal arts approach. Um, so it's, it's a very new model, especially in this part of the world. Um, but um, we've already seen some pretty incredible fruit from it. Cool. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and I think, um, you know, that's one of the things I, I, I sort of notice about your posting when you're when you're, you know, doing your stuff on Instagram. Side note, follow him if you're not already. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I notice it's like this it's worldview infused. It's like biblical and, and holistic in that sense. And I wonder, um, you know, that that's part of the challenge, even in our Christian universities um, here in America, and I'm sure all, all over the world, but is, you know, we've adopted mm -hmm. sort of a secular starting place with education, you know, oftentimes to get the accreditation. And then the challenge is like, how do you, how do you think Christianly when some of the presuppositions are secular, you know, they're godless, and then you right. try to, you know, paste a Christian veneer on top of it. Um, what, how do, with it kind of, for, fostering this new model that you guys are doing how do you go about trying to do that at the university level especially when people probably are coming into that with these secular mentalities yeah that's uh that's so good um and it's it's an important question because you're right most of the students who come into acu are, are coming from an education background where there's been severe or at least a decent amount of Marxist secularist indoctrination. You know, secular humanism is sort of the order of the day. Right. And so students come to ACU and um, there's a lot for them to unlearn and a lot of new things for them to learn. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that's just done with, you know, giving them the truth, mm. um, not being afraid to challenge their worldviews and, and showing them that their worldviews do not meet the standard of truth. Um, and truth is absolutely determined by God and God alone. Um, but again, I think that's also the importance of, of showing them the applications of living by the truth as well. So it's often not enough to just, you know, hand them a piece of paper or, or give them a textbook um, with the right answers, but to actually show them what it looks like to live in accordance with those right standards. And so um, at ACU, what I find is there's there's a culture around challenging even the way we live. Mm. Um, it, it's, 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 it's about a lot more than just handing in correct answers on an assignment. How are you living, though? I saw how you were relating to that girl, young man. <laughs> is that something that pleases the Lord? Um, mm. You know, just so trying to disciple in, in, in real life spaces as well is is one way to do that. And again, that's the importance of having mentors and disciples who can model what that looks like before them. Um, so while teaching them the truth, you're also showing them how to live it out in every aspect of their lives. Uh, that's, that's really good. Did you have anything else maybe before I no, move on? So yeah, as you're hitting that, I'm thinking of, you know, the fact that you guys even recognize Marxism, right. <laughs> because that, that is part of the problem, like too, in, in some of the Christian spaces over here is like, 
maybe we don't have as haven't had as much familiarity with at least the neo-Marxist language and the way they distort language and stuff. So it's kind of slid into to Christian spaces undetected. And but I think people are starting to wake up to the the tactics and the reality of it now. But that that kind of brings me to why one of the reasons we wanted to chat with you today was this post you put up, and you said mm-hmm. homosexuality and transgenderism are a type of contraception toward population control and Marxist utopianism. And then you said, do you ever wonder why sterilization and infertility matter so much to those on the left? Can you maybe unpack that a little bit to people that don't have background knowledge of those terms and and those frameworks and how they're coalescing in that movement? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you know, I guess to start with, I think I think most people would have an understanding of what homosexuality and transgenderism are. Um, and you know, when, when I when I refer to uh, contraception, that that's basically the idea that uh, an intentional effort to prevent um, conception of a child or you know whatever it is. Um, uh, so that that's what contraception would would refer to. Uh, population control is basically an agenda to limit the number of children families tend to have, to limit the number of people that live within a community and um, a country at large. Uh, that's what population control refers to. Um, and Marxist utopianism, which is perhaps a term that needs uh, more definition, um, is basically an idea that all people, there should be no discrepancies or disparities between people. So in Marxist utopianism, um, everyone has the same outcome. Everyone lives exactly the same. Um, Everyone basically has the same values. Um, Distinction is regarded oppressive. Um, And so Marxist utopianism is this attempt to create a world where everyone is exactly the same and under the same control and under uh, one government. And um, yeah, there's been a a very big push for this um, in various quarters. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to think of any other terms I might need to define in that tweet I'd put out. Um, But I think that would be the the crucial crux of it. Uh, The left, I think I did refer to leftism there, um, is um, basically a reference to a, a political progressive movement um, that has embraced Marxism as its fundamental dogma um, and wanting to enforce that on other people, whether it's through media or through education. Um, and so uh, there, there is a big push from those on the left uh, to want to create a culture that is androgynous. Andro- androgyny basically refers to uh, I guess a state in which there's no distinction between people at all, um, whether it's with regard to economy or gender, you name it. Um, androgyny um, is sort of the goal of, of, of Marxist utopianists or those on the left. Um, and they have been very intentional in pushing a culture of sterilization and a culture of death, ultimately. Uh, that's good. And so let's uh, let's camp for a second on the first part of this. So population control. What like mm. can you give us a little more in depth on that? Like what is what is the ideology behind driving population control 
And then where does population control, um, I guess, find nests within the hierarchy of culture to kind of build up and then and then influence from maybe top down or bottom up? Yeah, I think fundamentally the the, the idea behind population controls the idea that um, man is an inherent oppressor uh, to the earth to um, to one another, uh, it, it, it's, it's, and it's, and that might, I think to, to Christians who might be undiscerning sound, um, you know, like it's not a far off idea because like, yeah, you know, it, aren't, aren't men sinners, you know, aren't, aren't we all riddled with sin and, uh, commit sins against one another? Um, that's not what these guys are referring to when, you know, when they speak of population control, um, basically they believe that man, um, is is as he continues to grow, uh, will only cause harm, mm. and so population control is uh, often used as a veneer to sort of push things like sexual reproductive rights, to push um, poverty alleviation, to push climate control. And it, the, the premise around that is if you can limit the population of a populace, you can then limit poverty. You can then save the earth from, from damage. Uh, you can begin to restore humanity and the earth to what it's supposed to be ultimately. Um, and I think another important idea that we need to understand around population control is that the people who push this tend to think of man as only a consumer um, and not and not a, an entity that is actually created to be fruitful and multiply. And so since the resource of the uh, resources of the earth are considered um, scarce, um, the, the idea is that uh, if you can limit how many people have access to these resources, well, we basically save humanity. Um, and so I think it is born from a very consumeristic worldview uh, that views man as an entity who only takes um, but never gives. Um, and so um, in, in, in their minds, if you can limit a population, uh, you can limit um, uh, the kinds of things that would cause harm to, to, to civilization. <laughs> Sorry, just give me a hey, second. No, that's good. <laughs> that's great. He just wants he wants to come in and be a part of the conversation. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's my little boy. He's uh uh he's uh he's three years old. Um and you know, I I've I've got a big trip tomorrow, so I think he's trying to uh he's trying to, you know, to take every single minute he can get with me. No, that's amazing. And so you guys are doing your part for the cause against population control, yes. I think, which is awesome. Y'all just had your third, I, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. So, Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, but he should be in bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, you know, yeah, so sounds like to me what you're saying is, one, there's a theological belief at bottom, yes. that typically that there's no God, that the, the world isn't created with this design plan. Um, and so, two, there's an, because of that, there's an anthropological belief about human nature that we're, we're like viruses 
sort of like uh, the the agent mm. on the Matrix. You know, he's he has this whole speech if you've ever seen that, where he's telling Neo that you know human human beings are just a virus in the world and we have to eradicate them. That look at all this damage they're doing to the climate, and so you mm. have these two fundamental ideological beliefs that are running against Genesis, where it says in the beginning, God created, and he said, multi, you know, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is like the, the, yeah. the uh, I guess, the diametrically opposed viewpoint on both of those counts. Um, and then, like you said, it, it, they try to put a veneer of science on it. So you, every now and then, you know, now and again, you'll get this book where they're, where some scientist is proclaiming the doom, you know, if, if in 10 years we don't get the population down to this, we're going to experience these food shortages. Inevitably, it doesn't come true. But with those, they're able to even shift, you know, like you said, undiscerning people in the church on the basis of language of environmentalism, which we know we should care for the environment. But they do that to expand state control. Um, and limit the freedoms of the people in in this effort to really, I guess, according to their religion, do what's good for the for the earth and the universe. And so I don't I don't know yeah. if you've you've probably seen this Linux, but the the video with Bill Gates where he's saying you know here the population's here and we got to get it uh, down to here and here's some ways we can do that including vaccines. <laughs> um, you yes. know what it, I guess I'm curious to know as an American like. I saw this video of them coming in with vaccines a few years ago, and I can't remember the, the city it was in in Africa, but everybody was hopping out of the windows and running away from these doctors. <laughs> and I think there's yeah. like, I wonder if there's more awareness of this agenda in Africa than, than, the, than the typical American has, because many people don't even know about this stuff and that it's going on at the highest levels that they're, they're trying to implement these things. What, what is your experience there in Zambia? What, what are your thoughts on that? Are people more awake and aware of this agenda in, in African countries, by and large, at least in your experience? If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say they are. And that's because this agenda has been very careful um, to, to use terminology and rhetoric that desensitizes the masses. Mm. Um, so um, one example I can give you is um, here, you know, the idea of sexual reproductive rights is a big thing. And, and that's sort of the veneer that's used to push abortion um, in this part of the world. Um, I'd even say sterilization in this part of the world as well. Yeah. Um, and in Africa, the language that's used is intentional to make people associate fertility with poverty. Mm. Right. So basically what they're trying to sell is, you know, if you want to start to create wealth in your life and you want to, um, you know, um, escape this poverty, 
well, we got to sort out this whole fertility thing. Um, and so that's that's sort of what's being pushed. So um, words like sterilization are not necessarily used. Um, it's 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 wrapped in careful terminology that desensitizes people to what's to what's going on. Um, you know that, and I think that's sort of been the pull for many people. Um, and you know, in in societies where you know promiscuity uh, begins to be rampant, that's an easy target market for them as well, because then what they're selling is basically um, a way for people to. Uh, to mask their promiscuity, not have to live with the consequences of their promiscuity. Um, and so people are easy prey in that regard. Um, I think, though, that if Africans were more aware of what was going on, um, they would think twice about um, accepting um, the, this, the, this kind of agenda. Um, if they, they could discern through uh, the rhetoric and language that's being employed to push this agenda, I think many of them would wake up to it. Um, and I say that because it's interesting, <laughs> um, during the rollout of COVID vaccines in, in, in Zambia specifically, um, I think the rollout didn't quite work mm. the way that everyone wanted it to work, uh, because I think a lot of people were actually skeptical. Um, now, the reasons they were skeptical uh, may vary. Um, this is largely an animistic culture where superstition is a, is a very big thing. So. Mm. Um, you know, some people might just have been weirded out about, you know, what, what this was rather than actually having a solid apologetic and reason um, for, for being skeptical. Um, and so I think there's still quite a lot of work to be done in helping people understand um, the agenda that's, that, that's going on. And uh, another thing I think that's worth explaining as well is, you know, in this part of the world, um, NGOs, nonprofits play a very significant role in, in pushing policy in African countries. Um, and many of the NGOs and nonprofits that do that um, lean left, heavily lean left. Um, in this part of the world, when the UN says something, everyone has to listen, basically. And so if the UN has a population control agenda, well, people just sort of assume, well, it must be for the good of humanity. These guys do a lot of work helping people in their humanitarian efforts, so we have to listen to them. Um, and I think it's it's through organizations like that and their efforts to um, sort of sell this idea and push their propaganda that a lot of people actually buy into what's going on. But even that buy-in is a, a very blind buy-in. It's not really informed by by truth or worldview that can that actually knows what's going on and, and how to respond. That's that's really interesting, man. I, I, that kind of surprises me a bit. Yeah. I guess one of the things over here we see a little bit is like, and maybe maybe I'm just getting this on the algorithms, but I do occasionally see come across African leaders, and I, I don't know how your politicians are there in Zambia, but it seems like Uganda and other areas where they're saying, hey, we don't want that Western depopulation yeah agenda here to you know you can keep your abortion over there and all that kind of stuff is that is that kind of like am i just seeing it in spurts. kind of in spurts what they want us to see or is there a reality to that and how do you fit that in with what you just said yeah i think that's such an important question and the way i'd answer that is syncretism is a very big thing in this part of the world so 
you get like a, a mesh of different worldviews that come together. Uh, so many Africans would have their African traditional religion, will still have their Christianity as well, will take their Marxism and sort of apply it where they where they see fit. Um, and, and so, yes, you're right. Uh, many African uh, political leaders have stood out against things like homosexuality and transgenderism. Um, but for example, in, in, in several of these countries, abortion is legal and is happening in alarming numbers, for example. Um, and so it's, it's not a, again, it's not a consistent worldview that's built on, on the truth. Um, it's not built on uh, distinctly Christian values. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of rules that are arbitrary um, and that are designed to sort of fit whatever their interests are uh, for the moment. And so while there is much to celebrate and applaud African political leaders for, for um, there's also a lot um, we should be concerned about um, in that regard. Wow. Yeah, man, that, that you're over here black pilling us, Lennox. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, did you have any, any thoughts? No, I'm curious. Uh, I just want to make sure I was clear. You said earlier that they're sort of connecting. What, well, how are they relating the poverty to the fertility what are, how are mm -hmm. they using mm -hmm. that? I just want to make sure I understand you, what they, you meant by that. Yeah, so, so, so basically, um, you know, when, when you think of the sexual reproductive movement uh -huh. here in Africa, a lot of it is targeted towards low-income communities. Um, and it's in low-income communities that you get your highest fertility rates, generally speaking, ah, in this part okay. of the world. Um, and so... Um, you know, basically what they're trying to sell is, well, you know, if you want to come out of your um, economic poverty, um, you could do it by limiting the number of children okay. you have. Um, and, you know, in their minds, abortion is is a viable option um, for that to happen. Okay. Um, in fact, if you do a study, in fact, I'm <laughs> sort of branching off here, if you do a study of uh, population control anywhere in the world, you realize that abortion has always been a fundamental part of, mm. of getting that done. Um, no, no society has has undergone an agenda to push population control without resorting to abortion. Um, and it's an interesting study if you read uh, what happened in Germany during the reign of the of the National Socialist Party, mm. or even in the Soviet Union. Um, they, they had eugenics programs um, that were designed to uh, yeah. Uh, you know, eradicate certain people and they had to resort to things like abortion to do that. Um, and, you know, those are important things to study because you realize um, several decades removed from uh, from those regimes and not much has changed. Ooh, so, um, yeah. Very good. Mm. Now, that's that, you know, you brought up to the you know, the forces behind a lot of this propaganda. And I came across this. I have a question. Oh, go Sorry, ahead. No, no, um, no. In your circles, when you, if the opportunity arise to talk about these kinds of issues going on here in our country, you're sort of labeled a conspiracy theorist. Is that a term that's being thrown around in your culture? Are people viewing those who are kind of awakened, who get what's going on with this globalist agenda? <laughs> are they being looked at or labeled that kind of way in your opinion? Um, yeah, I think from time to time that does happen. Um, I suppose in a country like this, though, it's it's not too difficult 
to help people connect the dots. Okay. <laughs> and so it doesn't take too much to, to show them that this isn't really a conspiracy theory, uh, theory at all. Um, of course, there, there are still many who, um, who would just, you know, close their ears to everything, um, close their eyes to everything and um, still consider you a conspiracy theorist. Um, uh, but what tends to happen as well is that it doesn't take too long um, for the truth to come to light. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, maybe he did have something uh, uh, to say there. Uh, maybe he did have a point. Okay. Um, so um, I think the, the, the idea or the notion of conspiracy theorists based on people who tell the truth, I tend to find is, is a bigger thing in the West than it would be here although it does happen. Okay. Um, generally in Africa, people like stories and tales. And so <laughs> uh, okay. you know, they, they love to hear it and theorize about it, um, even if they may not necessarily believe it. So, gotcha. yeah. That's cool. That's good, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was it, in light of that, I was going to read this. You know, I'm sure you're, you probably have come across this too, Linux, but this is, uh, came across this the other day. It said, Henry Kissinger this was a speech to the World Health Organization, the WHO uh, Council on Eugenics, February 25th, mm -hmm. 2009. And, you know, if you don't know, if people don't know Kissinger, you know, real big in American politics, but I think very involved with the UN, uh, the WEF, Council on Foreign Relations, all that kind of stuff, mover and shaker in the, in the world stage globalist movement. So he said this, once the herd accepts mandatory forcible vaccination, vaccination it's game over they will accept anything forcible blood or organ donation for the quote-unquote greater good we can genetically modify children and sterilize them for the quote-unquote greater good control sheep minds and you control the herd vaccine makers stand to make billions and many of you in this room today are investors it's a big win-win. We thin out the herd, and the herd pays us for providing extermination services. Now, what's for lunch, huh? End quote. And so, you know, <laughs> that's uh, Henry Kissinger. And, you know, we're, with your point, we're mainly talking about the transgender hom homosexuality movement. Um, but you also have these other facets to their depopulation agenda. But I just find that interesting that you have, like you said, this stuff is, is in plain sight. But you still have people that'll just close their eyes and, and just not oh, pay attention, not pay attention, not want to hear about it. But I did think my, my impression was like, man, I, I, I thought that the general disposition in Africa would be distrust toward these globalist organizations because of, you know, just historical stuff with all that. But you're saying, nah, it's kind of, they've kind of done a good job of propaganda there as well, huh? Yeah, um, I think they have. And I, 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 my, my opinion on it is that I think it's all because it all flows from the influence of, of, of neo-Marxism. Mm. Um, and so to kind of give you a, a bit of a, a history here, there's, um, you know, Africa has long bought into post-colonial theory, um, which um, is, is, a, is a type of applied post-modernism, if you'd like, um, where the Western world is sort of seen as the oppressor and African countries are seen as, as the oppressed. And, and once you buy into um, those kinds of ideas, you begin to open up yourselves to other kinds of things. So for example, feminism, I think has also taken root here 
And so, for example, in this part of the world, you hear a lot um, of the rhetoric around gender equality and, um, you know, th these type of things. And when immediately you buy into, use, you begin to use those kinds of words and buy into the ideas that uh, those words mean, um, you sort of open the door up to, to other things as well, unknowingly. And I think that's, um, th th that's what's going on. Uh, for example, um, in fact, I, I was just having a conversation with some friends um, earlier this evening about this. Um, you know, comprehensive sexuality education is something that's pushed in this part of the world. I can speak of Zambia. And um, I've read the curriculum through and through. And basically, it's a propagation of gender theory. You know, that's that's what it is. Um, but what opened the door to that is, again, just this idea of gender equality that that, that seems and sounds harmless. Mm. Um, but um, I think is has been a, a very intentional long term tactic that happened decades ago and now is starting to uh, to, to, to gain some ground. Um, so while, yes, you might not have. The, the full expressions of um, homosexuality and transgenderism here as you would in the in the United States. Um, it is here at a much smaller level and it is growing. Mm. Um, and I think with, with, with passing generations, we're going to see, um, uh, I think a big wave of that really hitting this continent hard. So, wow. yeah. Wow, yeah, that's... You know, that's interesting. We had we had a conversation with some uh, folks, uh, some friends of ours in Jamaica a few years back, too. Yeah. And they were talking specifically back then about how Obama himself and, and you know, part of his movement was coming over there uh, frequently trying to, you know, f get them to buy into the homosexual transgender um, movement and and that it was making inroads. Did did that did that. Do you feel like that's been an import from the U.S. at all in, in Zambia as of late? And ha do you think now, like, feminism is kind of the Trojan horse that will allow that to finally take root? Is that what you're seeing? Um, that, that's exactly what I'm seeing. Um, I, 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 think, I think feminism, um, in my opinion, is what's opened the door to the transgender movement. Um, if you can uh, assault the distinctions between men and women at a functional level in society, uh, what, what, what stops you from taking that to, um, you know, it's biological ramifications of believing that kind of ideology. Mm. Um, if, 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 if the distinctions between men and women are blurred, uh, well, then anyone can sort of decide what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And, and so that is my fear that, that, that feminism really has opened the door, uh, to, to this movement. And um, I, I see it happening already. Um, and yeah, I think, I think with time, um, the African continent is going to have to deal with this um, in, a, in a much bigger way than it is now. Hmm. Here in America, I'm seeing the transgender movement clash with feminism and ECO, the gender mm. rights is has that begun to happen in your country yet like here like you have the the battle on the sports teams and the biological males who trans over to the women's sports it's chaotic has that touched mm. your country yet not that i'm in, wanting it too um, i'm just saying has, <laughs> have you seen that yet <laughs> sure. yeah um i think not 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 quite in the same way okay. i mean we don't yet have 
a push, for example, uh, um, for you know athletes to to have to deal with that just yet. Um, generally, I think these are societies where you know people still appreciate those distinctions between okay. um, um, men and women. So it wouldn't take the same expression. That said, um, as I have witnessed radical feminists and their activism here, um, I see them pushing transgenderism as well, um, which you know, which is actually uh, ironic. Um, if you think about it, if transgenderism is true and has any validity, it basically renders feminism irrelevant, you know, because <laughs> fundament like, fundamentally, feminism has to have a very specific definition of what a woman is. But if that can no longer be defined, then who's this patriarchy you hate so much, you know? <laughs> um, and, and what if this patriarchy decides to define themselves as, as a different gender, you know? Uh, so um, it, they, they are, of course, it's, it's, it's all senseless. It, all, it, it doesn't make sense. They, they are um, a lot of contradictions in a lot of this ideology. Um, and in many of, for many of the feminists I, I, I see doing their activism in this part of the world, I think a lot of them haven't yet come to realize mm those contradictions you know yeah. um so yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so funny yesterday i was flipping through social media and i saw a clip of a young lady fighting for something related to climate control via just controlling industries and plastic and then the guy's like well what about your glasses that you're wearing they're made of plastic while you're fighting to eradicate plastic how will you see what's your solution she was like um uh <laughs> next <laughs> so it's you're right you're talking with too much logic and common sense it's like it's it's yeah. it clashes and then it ends up eating its own but i we we, we yeah. pray the day they think it through prior to just destroying prior to reality thinking yes. it through for <laughs> yes. them right <laughs> yeah go ahead but, you know i think that's again like they don't really care about facts and truth Ooh. they might even acknowledge the fact that something is factual um, but these are narrative-driven agendas. Mm. Um, it's more like pushing a narrative mm. uh, rather than actually getting to the truth. Um, I, I think if we're honest, these are not people who care about the truth. They don't want the truth. Um, they want, of course, as the, by the influence of postmodernism, they want to create their own truth. And so facts on the ground don't really mean anything to them. Um, and I think that's important to to recognize even as we fight this spiritual war and i do believe it is a is fundamentally a spiritual war um as we're just dealing with people who do not want or like the truth um even um, if, if it was showed to them yeah it's good on that note how do you feel or sense or notice the church the pastors, mm. the leaders in the church, how are they doing? And I know it's probably an unfair question, but do you sense like here we have some who are the remnant. They're standing strong in the faith. They see the agenda. They're sp speaking truth, preaching against the narrative. How's it how's it going in your mm. country? Yeah, I think I think the Lord has been very kind to Zambia. Um, I suspect that we're in some sort of revival but we just don't know it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to know like when you're in it. Um, I mean, just the way the Lord has, has, has built his church here over the last several decades has been, um, has been very, very encouraging. 
Um, and even when it comes to just strong um, biblical theology being taught in churches, uh, the Lord has blessed that. Um, and while, you know, that in, in, to a large degree is still in its infancy, um, I, I'm very encouraged about what I'm already seeing and very optimistic about, uh, about the future of this. And Amen. so while we do have our work cut out for us, um, there's a lot of discipling to do. There's a lot of um, worldview development to do. Mm. Um, I, I'm, um, I, I do think that this, that this part of the world, um, Zambia specifically, is going to be very important uh, for this fight uh, against truth. Um, uh, so fight for truth against sure. lies. That's a better way of putting it. And so um, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged. And, and that's not to say that we have the numbers, you know, as if, you know, I'm talking about, you know, thousands of guys are just out here doing this. Um, but the faithful few I know uh, look like pretty dangerous men to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see how the Lord uses them. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic in that regard. That's awesome. That's yeah, that's, awesome. that's good. It, you know, it, it sounds like to me, if I had to like sum it up in a picture kind of that, you know, Western culture, Western civilization, we're kind of on our deathbed, <laughs> you know, like stage four cancer. And it's like we're in our last gasps unless the Lord comes and, you know, lifts us off that bed. But it sounds like you guys mm -hmm. are, you know, maybe you have stage one or there's like there's some signs that, yeah, that same disease is trying to creep in. And we don't necessarily have the antibodies. We have good tradition that's carrying us through, but, mm -hmm. but it might be too thin to really fight off the disease. But it sounds like you guys are in there as the, as the counterpunch to make sure that, and you still have a fighting chance with the Lord's help. And so, you know, in that spiritual mm -hmm. battle, what, what um, outside of training disciples yeah. at the local church and training in the university, on the when you're going on the offense and you're battling with people in the public square so you know here you might think you know twitter or x whatever it's called now um is a, is a space where you have christians that are staying in the public square going toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of these ideologues where do you guys find yourself because y'all have like this like these avengers at your school <laughs> you know fighting this good fight where where do y'all primarily engage in that battle do y'all get to partner with the government are you fighting just online like we are? Are there additional ways that you guys are able to conduct that? Yeah, uh, that's such a good question. Um, I think in many ways, to be honest, we're still figuring that out ourselves. So, hmm. I mean, um, I haven't said all this to say, hey, you know, we, we've got everything going on and right. it's and it's all great. Uh, we really do have our work cut out for us as well. And I think there's still a lot for us to figure out in terms of, um, what that fight um, actually looks like. Um, that said, um, I think we recognize, just as you said, education being um, an avenue to do that. Um, but I think also media. Um, I think a lot of the media that people consume in this part of the world um, either has very little substance to it um, or just has a, a godless agenda to it. Um, I mean, you'd be surprised to know how many people here have Netflix subscriptions, <laughs> you know, um, and in terms of news media that they're exposed to, it's CNN, it's BBC, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's those kinds of platforms that um, are generally liberal, left-leaning. Mm. Um, and so a lot of people are, are not even aware that there is a conservative outlook on 
uh, on things. Um, I think many people, even in our churches here, um, would still be very surprised to even know that in the church in America, COVID lockdowns were very controversial because everything they saw on CNN was, well, everyone's locking down, no questions asked, you know, we just kind of do, you know, uh, what we're told. Mm. Um, and so I think media is is one of the, the areas that we need to be fighting. And, um, you know, I think there's some, there, there are several guys, myself included, um, who've been very keen to, to jump on that, which is sort of why I've, um, I've also wanted to build a platform on social media. Um, Zambians generally use social media. It's very popular. Um, and that could be one way we get people to start thinking um, and to start realizing what's going on. Um, it's It could be a wonderful platform for uh, some form of discipleship. Um, and so, yeah, education, media, I think engaging the government as well is one of those opportunities that um, that we have um, and I say that because you know just in our circle of churches um, we have people in very prominent offices you know and um, as they're in, the, in our churches we we have an opportunity uh, to disciple them and to, to, to show them what it looks like to function uh, from a biblical perspective and now while we still have our work cut out for us in, in doing that um, we do recognize those opportunities and going forward, I think those opportunities, we will begin to, um, to seize more effectively. Awesome. Man, that's so good. Well, man, I, I appreciate you again coming on here and, and just, you know, letting us know about all that stuff. It's always enlightening to hear and you just bring such depth and, and clarity to the issue. So, um, man, like I said, follow this guy on Instagram, check his stuff out. It's always encouraging. You just get clear biblical thinking like this. And, and we just bless you guys and all your work over there, man. It just, it, it, it makes us feel good just to know we got brothers and sisters around the world that are engaged in the same battle. And there's so much, you know, there's so much connectivity and so much, uh, like-mindedness and, and spiritual connection. We feel, even though we have never met in person, but just with the being in the same battle and, and walking with the Lord like this. So thanks so much, man, for coming on and being with us today. Absolutely. Now this has been, this has been uh, terrific. And again, it's one of those displays of how truth really does transcend, mm. um, ethnic or, uh, national lines. Yeah. Um, we have a lot more in common because of our common faith in Christ than we wouldn't have with our, our kin around us. And so um, we praise the Lord for just how he, he brings us together um, in this fight for truth. Um, I'm really encouraged by, by you guys and um, support what you do. I'm just really blessed to be able to speak with you like this. Yeah, us too, man. Well, thanks so much. Well, thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Free Mind Podcast. Oh,